This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. How does a person get right with God? That's the question. How does a person get right with God? How does a person know that they're not right with God? And if you're not right with God, or you suspect that you're not right with God, how do you get right with God? And is there any necessity or desire to do so? Why would one want to get right with God? And why would God want us to get right with him? If he's God and we're human beings, then what's the big deal? We'll just act like human beings and he's God and so what? On the other hand, the world has a sense that in some way and in somehow, we need to be right with God. If we went back a couple of uh, generations, we would know that this phrase, getting right with God, was almost, well, so similar to even things related to the identification of our country. Getting right with God. If you were to drive down the highways of America in years gone past, you would see painted on the side of barns the words, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Or you might find the words, get right with God. If you drive down even today, down Highway 95, Interstate 95, down toward the south, Once you hit down in the southern parts of North Carolina, you get down to South Carolina, and all of a sudden you see a whole slew of billboards calling us to get right with God in one way or another. Well, that's the Bible Belt of America, you say, but how about the rest of us? Well, again, across America, the phrase get right with God or getting right with God was a very commonplace phrase for decades, yes, even centuries. But how about today? Why don't we see that too much today? Well, it's because perhaps we're not right with God and we don't care. (laughs) Maybe that's the best conclusion. We're not right with God and we don't care. But the interesting thing is that the Jewish people have a, what is called the sixth feast of the Lord. It's the highest holy day of the Hebrew calendar called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. And it's all about getting right with God. You say, well, why should I care about the Jewish feasts? I'm not Jewish. Well, that's true. You're not Jewish. But the Jews were supposed to be a model for the rest of the, uh, for the rest of the world. God gave them a charge. He said that he had chose them to be a peculiar people unto him, a holy priesthood, and so on. So he said, look, I want you to be holy. I want you to be right with me. You're supposed to represent me on this planet, and therefore, in order to represent me properly, you need to be in right standing with me. And so he gave them a series of feasts called the Feast of the Lord that you can find in Leviticus chapter 23. The first, actually, before the seven feasts of the Lord, is the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. That's a weekly 
thing. But then after that, there were seven feasts. The first four of those feasts have already been prophetically fulfilled. They had to do with the uh, events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. The three final feasts of the Lord, set forth in Leviticus chapter 23, are those that begin in the fall with what is called Yom Teruah, or the blowing of trumpets. Ten days later, Yom Kippur. And then finally, after that, another five days down the road, would be the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. Today, we're going to take a look at this matter of Yom Kippur because it has profound implications for every single one of us on the planet, Christian or non-Christian, Jew or non-Jew. And it began with the Jewish people because God had chosen them out of all the peoples of the earth to display his unique calling and glory going all the way back to a fellow by the name of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham chose to believe God. And so God showed Abraham unique favor. And because of that, Abraham became the father of the Jewish faith. He wasn't a Jew, but he became the father of the Jewish faith because of his obedience to God. Also, God said, I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do with the earth, and particularly how I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, because I know him that he will command his children to do that which is right in my sight. In other words, to obey God. Abraham, very unique. Now, you and I are not technically descendants of Abraham. On the other hand, the Bible says of Gentiles that not only are the Jewish people the descendants of Abraham, but also you and I are grafted into the Jewish promises through Abraham. That's right. So if Abraham was to obey and follow God, even though he wasn't Jewish, he actually came out of Ur of the Chaldees and was an Arab. A Syrian, the Bible says. He was a Syrian. He wasn't a Jew. But God used that man who was not a Jew to set the stage for his relationship with humankind uh, after the flood. So, today on Viewpoint, we're going to be taking a look at the implication, the practicality of this for you and for me, and it has everything to do with your life, with the life of your children, your grandchildren, pastors, your congregations. You may think that you can somehow dismiss this, but you really can't. And so we're going to present it today in a way that we will fully understand the implications and why this is increasingly serious as we approach the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, all that having been said, this came from the Jerusalem Post today. It's called Judgment Day. Three asteroids to fly past a uh, fast past the Earth on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is traditionally when, according to Jewish belief, God signs our fates in the Book of Life. 
judging our actions and deciding who lives and who dies. Well, these asteroids are flying past the Earth. Yom Kippur, the Jewish judgment date, is here, and three asteroids are set to come within it, according to NASA's asteroid tracker. The three asteroids will pass, if they have not already, today, September 25th, the day of Yom Kippur, and be flying unusually close to the planet's surface. Well, the question then that the Jerusalem Post asked was, is this perhaps a judgment that God is sending on Yom Kippur to repent and atone or else? Or how else should we look at it? We'll be right back. Stay tuned. This is you. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. How do you get right with God? Now that's the question for both Jew and Gentile, for Christian, non-Christian, for anyone, including a candidate for the U.S. presidency who claims to be a dedicated Hindu. How do you get right with God? Not with gods, but with God. Well, the essential message is you have to repent. You have to come clean with God about that which divides you, that which has separated you in spirit and or in truth from your relationship with him and from his favor. Well, as these asteroids were approaching the earth, the Jerusalem Post noted that scientists are confident that with enough warning time, They could protect the Earth from an asteroid disaster, at least if the asteroids were small enough. But whether they can protect against anything sent by God as divine punishment this Yom Kippur is another story, said the Jerusalem Post. Indeed, it would be another story. But we're not suggesting here on Viewpoint today that indeed those asteroids have anything to do directly with judgment on Yom Kippur this year. That's not the point. The point was to indicate that how the Jerusalem Post was viewing those asteroids as some people might, even in Israel, as potential judgment from God because their lives were not right with him. So how do we have a life that is right with him? We're going to find out, indeed, that... uh, There is much in the Bible that tells us exactly how we should get right with God and why we need to get right with him. But before we do that, we want to take just a few moments and further look at this issue of Yom Kippur. Israel National News today came with a long piece called The Laws of Yom Kippur about fasting and medication and illness and headaches and pregnancy on the most solemn day of the Jewish year. Anyone, 
It begins, who eats or drinks even a minute or a minute amount on Yom Kippur transgresses a Torah prohibition. Whoa, even a minute amount, even one drop of water or other liquid would cause you, according to this rabbi, to violate the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. Then he goes on to list what you have to do or not do concerning taking medication, if you're a dangerously ill person, uh, eating in intervals, if you're allowed to do that, pregnant women, nursing women, postpartum women, all of this. Bathing. All of this. And what I'm discerning here is that somehow our system, because of the blackout that occurred yesterday, this shutdown, all of our electricity has caused our system to mismanage, so to speak. So even though it appears, and you're hearing this background music coming up, which would end, seem to end the program, it is not going to end the program at all. So I want you to stay tuned, friends. This is Viewpoint. Viewpoint does determine destiny, and we need to hear what we're about to hear today on Viewpoint. Stay tuned. How to get right with God. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. Well, that's what it said. It said that we were right at the end of the program, but we are not. We are just barely getting into the program here today on Viewpoint, and so you'll understand that some of the traditional breaks that we would have, even the conclusion of the program today with what you have just heard, will not take place. That will have to be corrected because we had a massive storm here that shut down all electricity and our entire broadcast studio last evening. So here we are, talking live with you, thanking the Lord for the privilege, and the point that we're trying to get across is that there are many, many very, very specific rules, regulations set forth either by the Torah or by rabbinic instruction called, well, anyway, rabbinic instruction. So much for rabbinic Judaism. By the way, for the age of 12, girls are biblically obligated to fast on Yom Kippur, and boys from the age of 13 are also biblically obligated to fast, and the fasting is absolute fasting. Fasting from food, fasting from water. In other words, it's about afflicting your soul. That's the bottom line of it. A day for afflicting your soul. Well, why is it that uh, we're supposed to be afflicting our soul? Why was it the Jewish people were supposed to be afflicting their soul? Because to be out of sync with the God of creation is a serious problem. In fact, it is so serious that the decision of whether or not your name 
and your person would be reckoned in the book of life would depend upon your response to God by his spirit after Yom Teruah, which is the blowing of trumpets. A serious time to call the Jewish people to repentance. That's what it was all about. And then the ten days following Yom Teruah, the blowing of trumpets or the shofar, uh, was called the days of awe. Now, you will not find that phrase in the Bible. It is a phrase that the rabbis and other Jewish people uh, decided to refer, used to refer to that period of time, those ten days between the call to repentance with the blowing of the shofar and Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Those ten days are deemed to be so awesome, so terrifying in a sense, that if you do not respond honestly and with integrity in your heart, your name would not be included in the Book of Life, but would be stricken from the Book of Life forever. Can you understand then why those ten days were called the days of awe? Now let me ask you a question. If you thought or considered that from this very moment today, for the rest of your life were days of awe, because Yeshua, Jesus, the Lord of the church, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, for whom all of those feasts pointed prophetically, is coming very soon. And if you're not ready, your name is not going to be written in the book of life. So from this moment on, you're living in a period of days of awe. And it might be much longer than 10 days. It could be 10 years. I mean, it could actually be 100 years. I don't know. Because no man knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. We should know the general season and we think that it's approaching rapidly. But these are days of awe. And if we don't see it that way, we're missing the whole point of Scripture. God's purpose in sending Yeshua, Jesus Christ, as the Savior of the world to die on the cross as the sacrifice for us, Because the temple was gone, there were no more animal sacrifices to be made which were required of the Jewish people if they were going to have atonement or the covering of their sins. It's not available anymore. There's no temple in Israel. There hasn't been a temple there since A.D. 70 when the Romans tore it down just as Jesus had foretold was going to happen that not one stone would be left upon another. So, what are we going to do? You can't have animal sacrifices. The high priest can't go into the the Holy of Holies because the Holy of Holies isn't there anymore. You can't have the scapegoats because that would require also the temple sacrifices and the priests and the high priests. So, none of that now that is required in the Torah the first five books of the Bible, is available anymore. None of it. So now what do you do? 
Well, the Jewish people, in fact, a couple of rabbis had a brilliant idea, and uh, uh, Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, he was uh, coming forth from Jerusalem, and Rabbi Joshua followed after him and beheld the temple in ruins and said, Woe unto us! Rabbi Joshua cried out that this, the place where the iniquities of Israel were atoned for, is laid waste. But Rabbi Yohanan said, My son, be not grieved. We have another atonement as effective as this. And what is it? It's acts of loving kindness, he said. Acts of loving kindness. From that time on, based upon the words of one rabbi, Israel abandoned the expectation of the atonement through the blood and sought it instead through mitzvah or good works. And that, my friends, is the spirit of what Paul, the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said, look, you cannot make your way to heaven with good works. Good works are not going to cut it. There's the shedding of blood that is required. And Yeshua, Jesus' blood, was shed once and for all for the remission of your sin. Not just the covering of your sin, because those animal sacrifices were required every single year. The people had to be reminded through Yom Kippur every single year. And then the next year they had to do the same same ritual all over again. So that's why Yom Kippur became the highest holy day of the Jewish calendar and the the uh, period in which, the day in which more people would go to synagogue than would ever darken the door of a synagogue during the year. The synagogues would be flooded. People didn't want to have their name blotted out. And they thought that by just going through the ritual, everything would be wonderful and everything would be cool. How many professing Christians think the same thing? They just think the same thing. Yeah, they they think the same thing. Well, if I I just go into the church on, on Easter, or I just go into the church on Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, then I'm wonderful and I'm cool and I'm right with God and uh, that's that's it for me. Or I send my kids to Sunday school, or whatever it is. We go through the, the motions, the ritual, but it has almost nothing whatsoever to do with getting right with God, because getting right with God is a matter of the heart. For instance, today, actually yesterday, the putative president of the United States, Joseph Biden, issued a statement on the occasion of Yom Kippur, which began at sundown last evening, the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. He said, Jewish tradition holds that from the time the Book of Life is opened on Rosh Hashanah, that is, the Feast of Trumpets, there's a 10-day period for repentance. He said the blessing of Yom Kippur is that not it's not just a day of reflection, repentance, and reverence, but a day of transformation, forgiveness, and hope. Well, so much, that's true. He said, God gives us to write a new chapter, or invites us to write a new chapter in the story of our lives. 
So let us all summon the courage to make the changes required to bridge the gap between the world we see and the world we seek, said Biden. He missed the point. His words reveal that you can save yourself, that we can save ourselves. There was no remission of sin by the shedding of blood. There was no receiving of forgiveness and confession of sin in the mind and heart of Joe Biden. Yet he professes to be a Roman Catholic Christian. So he said, on behalf of my family and my entire administration, we wish you a meaningful and easy fast. Really, I thought the fast was supposed to be an affliction of your soul, not an easy fast. But Joe Biden's view is everything's got to be easy if it has to do with religion because we don't want to go there anyway. So then he concluded by saying, may we all be sealed in the book of life. Really? How could he possibly say that? May we all be sealed in the book of life when he has not dealt one iota with how you get there and doesn't want to. That's our problem, friends. Yom Kippur is a, is serious business. It's serious first for the Jewish people because they were to be the exemplars to the world of what it meant to walk with God in righteousness and in truth. So, it's not about just afflicting your soul. Many people in the Middle Ages would crawl up the steps of cathedrals and so on and bloody their knees in an an effort to afflict their soul. It didn't accomplish anything of salvation. It wasn't their own blood that was to be shed. It was the shedding of Christ's blood. Only that is efficacious for salvation. To open the door to the book of life. But then what if the door is open to the book of life and we don't take it? Or we choose it today, but tomorrow or next year... We choose not to go to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah, excuse me, on uh, uh, Yom Kippur. What if we decide to walk away? We decide to waltz away. Can we do that? Obviously we can do that, or it wouldn't have been necessary for God to institute teshuva, repentance, through the blowing of trumpets, ten days of awe, and the annual experience of the atonement through Yom Kippur. That was necessary because people can fall away. Contrary to what many Christian theologians preach, and that's one of the reasons why our nation is in the trouble that it's in, because we think that somehow we made this confession back there 40, 50 years ago, and everything else in our life has been basically We've been on a Christian cruise, if you can call it that, living like the world, but claiming Christ. It doesn't work that way. We're separated from God. God knows that. And he's not happy. Any more than a father is happy when his children go out and do what they want to do. So Jesus gave us 
didn't he? He gave us this wonderful parable. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. So here's a guy. His father was fairly well-to-do, but one of the two sons decided to uh, take his inheritance early. He was like Esau in the Old Testament. Get it quick, get it easy, do what I want. Forget about the eternal consequences. So the prodigal son takes off, and for years he's gone, and he eats up, squanders all of the wealth that he has gotten by inheritance from his father. And do you know, contrary to what so many preachers preach today, the father did not chase after him. Oh, the father loved him, but he didn't chase after him. Because the problem was not with the father. The problem was with the son. And that's why the Bible tells us, Return unto me, and I will return unto you. It doesn't say, I'm chasing after you. God says, Return unto me, and I will return unto you. One of the classic places of that is in Malachi chapter 1. If I be a father, where's my where's my honor? Come on, you guys. We're playing games with the God of history, the God of creation, because we really now are increasingly seeing ourselves as co-equals with God. We can pick and choose what we want to do, what we want to believe, and then consider ourselves in right standing with God no matter what he says. So, Israel National News, two weeks ago, had a piece called Rosh Hashanah. That's the Feast of Trumpets. Two steps to achievable teshuva. Teshuva meaning repentance. And here were the two steps. Number one, our mouths have to conform to what God says. In other words, our words. Our hearts also have to conform to what God says. So the psalmist said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Well, isn't it interesting? And I've just been writing about this in my new book, dealing with the persecution and so on, how even in so-called Christian music today, swear words, blasphemy, all kinds of uh, inappropriate language are being used in so-called Christian music. And it's being used under the banner of, well, we just have to be honest or we just have to be real. Well, if you're really honest and you're really real with God, you're not going to be using those kind of words because the only reason you're using them is because your heart is not right with God. No matter whether you're doing music that has lyrics supposedly that are worshiping God, your heart's not right. God cannot honor that. In fact, you're leading more and more people astray. You're becoming the minister of the world in the name of Christ. Can you understand a greater blasphemy than that? 
So what we're talking about here is something of profound significance. I mean profound significance. So, because we're not taking any break here because of the uh, uh, breakdown of our system due to the shutdown last evening due to a massive storm, we're just going to continue on. Things will not be as you might expect them with a break and so on. So, before we move forward here, I'm going to tell you, urge you, to turn in your Bible, if you have it handy, to Psalm 139. I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 139, and we're going to pick up from there and see what it is, why it is that we are away from God and need to know how to return to God the necessity of it. Because if we don't, just as the Jewish people realize their name would not be written in the book of life. Don't give me your theological jargon about once saved, always saved, and all of that. You have to walk with God. You have to get right with God. You can't play pretend. The prodigal son had to come to the point at the bottom of the pit, eating with the pigs in a pigsty, to realize even the hired servants in my father's house are better off than I am. So he determined in his mind and heart that he would return home. Now, there's somebody listening to the program today that has to return home. But home was only where the heart is. The prodigal son's heart now was turned toward home, where the father was. Is your heart turned toward home, where God the Father is? If it is, you're going to have a completely different viewpoint concerning your life, concerning what the Father expects of you. And you're not going to defy it anymore. You're not going to pretend that you're entitled to this, that, or the other blessing when you're living in a blasphemous lifestyle. You're just not going to do that. Or living in a a, a style of, let's pretend that I'm a Christian. Because I went into, I go to church periodically. That doesn't make you a Christian. God's looking at your life. He's looking at how we live. looking at the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts that determine what we do. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Isn't it interesting that Jesus himself said, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Why did he say that? Because he said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is speaking. 
So if you're involved in speaking cuss words with the rest of the uh, folk at your business or in your job or so on, or in your home, you're just playing a game. The words of your mouth condemn you. You're not walking with the Father. And if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? He didn't move. The father of the prodigal son didn't move. He was still there. So when the prodigal son decided to come home and to adjust his heart and his his mind accordingly, the father was waiting for him and held his arms open to him, but the father had not gone after him. Only when the son was on his way home did the father go to him. Please understand this, friends. That's why the Bible says, God tells us, return unto me and I will return unto you. That's what Yom Kippur is all about. The Jewish people understand that in theory, but not much in practice. It's a ritual, but God is not impressed with rituals. He's impressed with righteousness, because righteousness is the habitation of his throne. Now, before we go further in Psalm 139, I want to remind you that for the remainder of the month of September only, we are making all of my books except for Antichrist and except for Messiah. All of my books there on the website, saveus.org, are available to you for only $10 each. We have never done anything like this before. We want to somehow get as many books out there. The message has to get out there because of the shortness of the hour and the desperate nature of our times. These books will help you get closer to the Lord, to walk in his ways, to please him. That's what they're about, starting with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. When we've abandoned the fear of the Lord, we've actually abandoned the very spirit of Yom Kippur. You can't have days of awe unless you have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the foundation for everything, including forgiveness of sin. You will not seek forgiveness of your sin if you do not first have some understanding of the fear of the Lord, realizing you're a sinner and you're not written in the book of life. Your only hope is to receive Christ as your Savior. His blood becomes the sacrifice for your sin if you will walk in that sacrifice and receive it. That is the ultimate atonement. It's no longer just a covering. It's the complete propitiation of your sin. If you walk in a spirit of repentance. So, the beloved Apostle John said, look, don't say you haven't sinned. Because if you do, you make him a liar and his word isn't in you. 
But if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't wait for Yom Kippur. We don't wait for the blowing of the trumpet. We, we, every single day and every hour, we're living according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit who uh, opens up the Word of God to us in spirit and in truth, and we have his testimony that shows us how we need to repent, maybe even sometimes on an hourly basis, depending. That's how we live with short accounts with God. That's how we live in his presence. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, as I was talking about our books, uh, they're available on our website, $10 each. Antichrist and Messiah, $15 each. Then when you get multiple books, the first book is $5 postage and handling, Every book thereafter is only $2 postage and handling. Now, we can't, we just can't possibly do a better uh, deal than that. It's not about making money. It's about getting a message out. By the way, yours truly makes no money. I write these books. I make no money from these books. Zero. That may be hard for you to believe, but it's true. I mean, I receive no remuneration for this broadcast. Zero. And never have. This is a calling that God has given to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour with as many people as will listen. Thank you for telling others, as so many do. Go to the website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Okay. Psalm 139. Please listen very carefully. Because this is the Spirit of the Lord that is speaking through David. Remember, David was called a man after God's own heart, and you're going to be you're going to see why David was called a man after God's own heart. And if you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, then you're going to be able to speak the same things that David is speaking here, and it will go a long way toward reestablishing the closeness that you want to have with God as your Father. Here's what he says. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my down-sittings and my uprisings. You understand even my thoughts from afar off. Can you imagine that? God has searched him and knows him, knows even his down-sitting, his uprisings. I know you have some of those, and so do I. You understand even my thoughts You compass my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Did you know that? Did you know that God knows all your ways? You think you're hiding from him, but you can't. There is nothing hidden from him with whom we have to do. We are totally spiritually naked before him. So David cries out, 
Whither shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? There's no way. No way to flee. No way to flee from his spirit. All we can do is rebel. And when we rebel, we end up, over time, like the first king of Israel, Saul. God selected Saul to be the first king of Israel. But Saul decided to do his own thing. He was anointed by God. He even prophesied. But he didn't walk with the Lord in the light of his word. And so the Holy Spirit, over time, God took his spirit from him. In other words, Saul could no longer experience the warmth of fellowship with God that he had once had. And it began to trouble him greatly. In fact, it troubled him so much that he became, in a sense, almost uh, mentally deranged. And he had to call for David to come and play his harp for him to calm his spirit. Are you in that position today? You may not have anybody to play a harp for you. Maybe you're going to some of this non-Christian Christian music to uh, try to calm your spirit, and it's doing just the opposite. David goes on in Psalm 139 to say, You have possessed my innermost being. You have covered me in my mother's womb. You knew me for the very moment I was conceived in my mother's womb. You've you've watched over me. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that God's thoughts are really that precious to you? If you do, then why is it you're not obeying him? Why is it you diss what he says in his word and decide to do what somebody else told you was right? Whether it's some sort of religious leader, or whether it's the culture, or your own unforgiving heart. Speaking of forgiveness, wasn't it Jesus who said, if you will not forgive others, Neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. That just doesn't seem to resonate with most Christians. My wife happens to think that unforgiveness is probably one of the most uh, grievous sins in the church today. Especially among women. How can you say you're walking with God when you're refusing to forgive? When you're walking in bitterness and resentment? No, it's not possible, my friend. We're living in the days of awe, and we've got to come clean with God and with one another. So, one of the key characteristics of Yom Kippur is... You're not going to get clean with God until you get clean with one another. Or at least if you get clean with God, it's going to require that you get clean with one another. You're going to start forgiving. You're going to not walk in bitterness and resentment. You're going to uh, make good on things where you've uh, mistreated somebody else. 
where you have been unkind, where you have uh, stolen, deceived. You see, that's what the second group of the Ten Commandments is all about. The first four are how to be right with God straight on. The remaining six are about how to deal with those made in God's image, humankind. So when a lawyer would ask Jesus, well, what is the great commandment? He would say, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. But the word love has a definition. And it's about obeying God from his viewpoint with regard to our treatment of others. It doesn't mean you accept their sin. And David goes on in Psalm 139. Surely you will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate you? Now, we're not talking about persons here. We're talking about hating the sin. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, the Bible says. So David ends up with these words that have been put into a wonderful chorus. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. You know what the tendency is? Search them, O God. You know, those guys out there, those those guys that are destroying our nation, those guys, the, the abortionists and Slick Willie in the White House and Barack Obama and all, you know, we used to say all those things. That was the nature of the culture wars. The culture wars were never about coming clean before God. That's why they failed. The culture wars failed because it was a finger-pointing exhibition to basically say, we wear the white hat, they wear the black hat, we're cool, they're not, we're pleasing God, they're not, therefore, God, get them, and we've got to wage war against them. And at the same time, God is saying, no, I understand their wickedness. I know who they are. I see their downsetting and their uprightings just like I see yours. But I'm concerned about my people. I'm concerned about those that profess my name. I'm concerned about those who claim to be my warmest audience. I'm concerned about the Christians. I'm concerned about those who profess to be walking with the Lord in the light of his word and aren't. You're the ones I'm concerned about. The rest of them already are condemned. You say, really? Well, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Maybe you didn't know that. 
because you only knew John 3.16. Would you like to know what the rest of it says? Well, here we are. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Because men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. We need to get the whole of the gospel, the whole truth, not just the lovey-dovey parts. We need to get the whole truth. So, if you and I, in the spirit of Yom Kippur, would cry out, search me, O God, and know my heart. Remember, it's out of the abundance of your heart that your mouth is speaking. It's out of the abundance of the heart that all this evil and all this other stuff comes. You say, well, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. That's true. That's why God says repent. That's why God says confess. Own up to it. My blood, my salvation is significant for you only to the extent that you're willing to own up to it. How can I save or forgive somebody that refuses to need forgiveness? Hello? You see, that's why we need mercy. We need mercy before we need grace. We need mercy because we're dead-bang guilty before God and not walking in favor with him. Then we need his grace that enables us to do his will after we repent. I'm so glad that the scripture tells us that it is God who works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But we have to respond. The prodigal son did not respond. He took off. He was gone for years. He had squandered everything. And then he finally came back. And the father was so thrilled. And then the faithful older son got himself in trouble. He had been faithful to his father, but his heart was not right. Remember, his heart was not right. He was bitter. He was resentful. He was envious of his younger brother, his father. Uh, Here his father sacrificed the fatted calf and celebrated for the return.